Welcome to day five of the Locked On NBA NBA preview extravaganza. The Central Division is the focus today. We'll start with the Milwaukee Bucks, follow it by the Indiana Pacers, the Detroit Pistons, the Chicago Bulls, and the Cleveland Cavaliers in order of finish last year. I'm David Locke, host of the Thursday edition of Locked On NBA, founder of the Locked On Podcast Network. Thanks for taking the time with us, as has been the case in the four previous previews. The local expert will give you the breakdown on their team with all the storylines, the players that are going to break out, the biggest impact players of the year, and the rest, followed by the Rejecting the Screen Crew, a new national show on the Locked On Podcast Network with Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko giving you the tomorrow's headlines, and then the number one fantasy basketball show in the land, Josh Lloyd, will give you Locked On Fantasy. Before we start... I do want to make an announcement. If you've not heard already, a massive day for the Lockdown Podcast Network. Thank you so much for your commitment to the Lockdown Podcast Network because it's allowed us to do this. John Hollinger, who spent the last seven years in the front office of the Memphis Grizzlies, the godfather of ESPN basketball analytics, will be joined with Nate Duncan, the daily podcaster of Dunked On Basketball, for a once-a-week show here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. It should be amazing. Hollinger and Duncan, an NBA show. Go get it on iTunes. Subscribe now or put your RSS feed into whatever podcast provider you want. So Hollinger and Duncan, the new NBA show on the Locked On Podcast Network. Let's get it started. Kane Pittman is the host of Locked On Bucks, and he'll give us the local breakdown of the storylines involving the Eastern Conference favorite Milwaukee Bucks. Kane Pittman here, host of Locked On Bucks, ready to preview the 2019-20 Milwaukee Bucks season in which they come in with expectations. Not something this franchise has been used to in the past. Milwaukee won 60 games last year and went all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals, losing in six games to Toronto. And this was followed by a summer where they spent a lot of money bringing back core group. Brooke Lopez earned a $50-plus million deal. Chris Middleton signed a $178 million contract. Bledsoe was signed back in March. The one guy they didn't bring back, Malcolm Brogdon. This will be the number one thing that the Bucks are judged on this year, the front office. They could have paid Brogdon as a restricted free agent, would have had some luxury tax implications. They decided not to bring back Malcolm Brogdon. Instead, they have signed Wes Matthews, Kyle Korver, Robin Lopez was another off-season free agent signing. So Milwaukee will be judged very heavily on this. Malcolm Brogdon last year averaged over 15 points per game on 50-40-90 shooting. He was incredibly efficient, historically efficient. This is something that the Bucks are going to have to prove that they can replace that production. You're probably not going to replace that efficiency, but Malcolm Brogdon brought a lot of other things to the table, basketball IQ, clutch shooting. So now we need to see whether these other guys can step in and fill that void. The other obvious thing we'll be looking at is whether or not Giannis can continue his ridiculous trajectory of just getting better every single season. He's done that from his six points per game in his rookie season, 12 uh, the next year, moved on to be most improved player. He became an all-star, then he was an all-star captain, and then of course he was an MVP. And yet, he still was questioned after the Eastern Conference Finals, put up big numbers, but it wasn't his usual dominant self, and the Bucks supporting cast weren't able to hit the shots that allowed the Bucks to move through to the finals. And this was a really closely run Eastern Conference Finals, even though the Bucks lost four straight games. So Giannis is going to be the man that's going to carry the brunt of these losses if the Bucks don't take the next step to the NBA Finals. Giannis needs to improve, whether that's shooting the ball from the outside. We've seen 
from last year through the new year, Giannis shot over 30% from three on three attempts per game after the turn of the new year last year. In the preseason this year, he's not hesitating. He's shooting the threes. Head coach Mike Budenholzer is telling him to shoot these threes, and the confidence looks like it's growing. We're going to have to wait and see whether that translates to the regular season. But if Giannis is out here shooting 30 to 35% from three, I'm not really sure how you stop this guy. So this is going to be something that we're going to watch through the year. I think that a scary thing for the Bucs is potentially playoff underperformance again. And I think that probably starts with the point guard that they signed in March last year, Eric Bledsoe. We saw he had a much publicized down performance against Boston two years ago in the first round. Last year, not at his absolute best in the playoffs. And this was a guy that was a first-team all-defense last year, had a spectacular regular season, but just wasn't at his regular season levels in the postseason. Two years in a row that he's been in Milwaukee, this has happened. A lot of pressure rests on his shoulders to be able to give support to Giannis and Chris Middleton, who have both performed well in the postseason, as well as the other role players in this team. So that is the one scary thing for this Bucks team. We know they're going to win a bunch of regular season games. We know they're going to put themselves in a put themselves in a position to contend for the Eastern Conference crown. But once they get to that level, are they going to be able to deliver? Giannis is going to put up stats, but are the role players going to be able to help him? I think that another big question mark coming into the season is, is Bud going to experiment a little bit more during the regular season? I think last year, everything came so easy for the Bucks. They rolled to 60 wins. They beat down every team that was in front of them just about. They only lost two games in a row once for the whole entire season. And this was with the minutes down for the starters. But right throughout, there were question marks about the defensive scheme. Does the drop uh, scheme in the pick and roll work? I think you could easily argue it does because the Bucks finished with the number one defense in the NBA, but they were susceptible to jump shooting teams through the season. I'll be interested to see would they switch a little bit more this year. And then on offense, what positions do we see Giannis put in? Does Bud get him in a pick and roll with Chris Middleton more often? This was a money move for the Bucks last year. We didn't see it all that often. The Bucks run an equal opportunity offense, but I'm very curious to see whether they mix this up a little bit uh, in the upcoming season. Remember, they won 60 games last year. Obviously, incredible achievement for the franchise, but ultimately, they didn't get the crown that they wanted, and that was the NBA championship. So I think this season, I, they prioritize being ready for the playoffs more than they do regular season wins. I think it's expected they're going to be a top two seed in the East regardless. So I think that we might see a little bit of, you know, points of difference from Bud. He might try some different things. Potentially, he might rest guys even more. And again, I don't think the guys were over overexerted last year, but I just think the Bucks are going to play the long game this season. There's no question about that. Uh, I think when you look at this Bucks roster from top to bottom, they're very deep. They can probably play 12 guys deep every night. That's, probably, that's not going to be the case, but one guy that is really in for a critical season in his career for mine is Sterling Brown. This guy is heading for restricted free agency next summer. He has started playoff games for the Bucks. He's been a regular rotation player really since coming into the, the NBA. But I'm not sure with the Bucks' deep rotation and the guards, uh, the twos and the wings, when you include guys that potentially might play through there, that may include George Hill, Wes Matthews, Dante DiVincenzo, Kyle Korver, Pat Connaughton. 
I just am not sure whether Sterling Brown fits with that group. I think he might be the odd one out. If Sterling Brown can force his way into this rotation, he could earn himself quite a contract next year. So Sterling Brown is one guy I am definitely watching. But overall, it's championship or bust for the Bucks. They have the MVP. They have the support cast. They have the perfect array of talent around Giannis to win NBA games in 2019. They are ready to roll, and their expectation is a championship for the Bucks. But two predictions that I do have outside of that, that win total. I already spoke about experimentation. I think the Bucks are going to try a few different things. 55 wins for the Bucks. I don't think they go over that. I see them in that 54 to 55 win range. Uh, like I said, I think they're going to cruise through the, the regular season and try and peak at the right time uh, come May and, and hopefully June. And my second prediction is Chris Middleton proves himself to be a perennial all-star in the East. Again, the Bucks are going to be a, a top seed. Chris Middleton last year, his first all-star experience, 18 plus points per game, six rebounds. You know, he's a great outside shooter, great defender. Gets the, got the big jobs last year on Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, uh, Kevin Durant even. This is a guy that's very versatile defensively, offensively as a weapon. I think Chris Middleton is a lock for an all-star this season. And he's going to start to prove his worth for that contract. And uh, there's going to be a little bit of added pressure there. But I'm backing Chris Middleton to be an all-star. But the Bucks are in for a fun season this year. As I said, unfamiliar territory for this franchise they are saying all the right things. They seem ready to go. But make sure you're listening with me, Kane Pittman, on Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast of the Milwaukee Bucks. After each team, we also give you our points gained analysis. Points gained is the offensive metric that is exclusive to the Locked On Podcast Network that we've built, comparing players to the average player in the NBA and how they use possessions in the Milwaukee Bucks are off the charts, largely due to Giannis, who was the number one points gained offensive player in all of the NBA last year. They are the number one offense projected in all of the NBA, number two defensive projected, number one seed in the Eastern Conference by a large margin. We do not see the Eastern Conference being close, in fact, probably as much as a 10-game discrepancy between the Bucks and the number two seed. Let's find out what Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko think of tomorrow's headlines. By the way, they've got a great episode out of Rejecting the Screen involving Sam Mitchell with some great stories, sleeping in his car after winning a championship, coaching Zion, all sorts of other great stories with Sam Mitchell. That's on Rejecting the Screen. But here are their tomorrow's headlines for the Milwaukee Bucks, plus Josh Lloyd's fantasy breakdown. For the Milwaukee Bucks, didn't Jay-Z have the blueprint wasn't that an album? Yes, sir. Okay, thank you. You're my cultural gauge. So for the Bucks, it's the headline is the blueprint. And it's how to defend Giannis. And that's what other teams did during the playoffs, where they just packed it in and said, Giannis, if you're going to beat us, you're going to beat us from the three-point line. And during the regular season, when it's difficult to just jump from one team to the next, game planning here and there, don't be fooled by the regular season that Giannis has or the Bucks have because for the Bucks, the expectations are to get to the NBA Finals. This is a team that is pretty much the same minus Malcolm Brogdon, which is a huge deal. And a big question is, what do Kyle Korver have? What's he have in his tank? What does Wes Matthews have in his tank? But it always, as always, comes down to Giannis. And the blueprint is there to defend Giannis in the playoffs. So don't be fooled by the regular season. Yeah, and and my future headline is Giannis considering leaving Milwaukee. Oh, 
Now I say this temperate, temperate. I say this not because he's actually going to leave or even consider it. I mean, he's talked a lot about what Steph Curry's done at Golden State and what Tim Duncan did in San Antonio. But it's just that every other team in the league would love to have him, or at the very least, would love to have the chemistry for the Bucs shaken up a little bit. So I can see agents around the league, insiders, sources, if you will, will start to float this idea that Giannis is seriously considering leaving the Bucs. And you know there's going to be some writers out there who take the bait. And by the way, you brought up Malcolm Brogdon. Of course, it's going to be a different team this year. With Brogdon last year, regular season, 766 winning percentage. Without him, just 11-7, and seven, which is just a 611 winning percentage. Obviously, they did pretty well in the playoffs when they didn't have him. But I do think we're going to see consistent rumors floating around that are going to reach headline proportions. Giannis leaving the Bucs. Let's look at the Milwaukee Bucks from a fantasy perspective. I think it's a lot more of the same from the Bucks this season. Yes, Malcolm Brogdon is gone. Wes Matthews likely steps into that starting job, but I don't expect Matthews to have the same level of fantasy impact that Brogdon did. He's more of a, a streamer type guy, a very, very late round pick, not someone we're looking at in standard leagues. Yanni Antetokounmpo is in the discussion for the number one player. He had some big leaps last season. We saw that efficiency really go up. And I do think there is room for growth with Antetokounmpo. His free throw percentage could improve. It was much stronger in the second half of the season, as was his three-point percentage. If those two things come together, then he is really in that discussion for the number one player. Eric Bledsoe is being a little bit underrated. I think people look at what he did in the playoffs and downgrade him a little bit. He is dealing with that rib cartilage issue, but that might cost him one, two games, maybe cost him no games. He's a really strong mid-round point guard, and Chris Middleton in that same sort of area as well. Um, the problem with the Bucks is that Budenholzer does keep their minutes low, so it does limit the upside of some of these guys. And another player who I think maybe is getting a little bit overvalued is Brook Lopez. I think he plays maybe a little bit less this season, especially with his brother in town to back him up. That gives him a more competent backup so he doesn't have to push to that 30, 31 minutes a night that he played over the final 30 games of the season. He can be more in that 28 zone than he was to begin the year. So that takes a little bit of the value away from Brooke Lopez in that situation. The bench guys, there's not a huge amount to see. Deeper leagues, you could look at perhaps someone like uh, Ursan Ilyasova or Robin Lopez. Uh, George Hill, probably the best of the bench group for the Milwaukee Bucks. I saw the Bucks in person this year. Have to say, the Robin Lopez edition, bigger than people are giving it credit to. 48 minutes of centers protecting the rim. Last year, they only allowed 30% of the shots at the rim. If they get that number any lower, hard to imagine uh, that they're anything but the one or two defense in the NBA. The Indiana Pacers have gone through a lot of changes. They picked up Malcolm Brogdon from the Bucks. Boyan Bogdanovich went to the Utah Jazz. Nate McMillan still has the same philosophy. Don't beep with the game. Tony East, Adam Friedman are the hosts of Locked On Pacers, and they give you the breakdown on the local team, the Indiana Pacers. Hey, everybody. Tony East here from Locked On Pacers to walk you through what to expect uh, and watch for from the Indiana Pacers this season. Uh, they have a, a bunch of new players, so it's going to be very interesting to see what this team Really looks like when things get going. Uh, if you count two-way players, nine of their 17 guys are new. So over half of their roster is really guys that are getting acclimated to each other in the organization, which is just a big thing to watch for. But the thing to monitor from the Pacers both in camp, going into the season, and really it will define possibly their next two to f- five years is you know the DeMontis-Sabonis-Miles Turner pairing. Is this going to work? Is playing these two centers together 
going to make the team much better than everybody else? Are they going to zig while everybody else zags? Or is it going to flop and they're going to be stuck and have to trade one and kind of pick up pieces on the fly? It's going to be really interesting to see how those guys A, fit together, and B, fit around a new look roster that is catered a little bit better to them, but still will be challenging to overcome the spacing deficiencies and defensive limitations that they offer. But if it works, this team could have one heck of a season. I think they have a, a great chance at, you know, at having a high ceiling and being being in that race for the 4-3 seed in the Eastern Conference. Even with Victor Oladipo missing half the season, they looked pretty good in their preseason games. But say this Turner-Sabonis pairing clicks, I mean, those are two guys who are not all-stars, but that tick right below there. Same with Malcolm Brogdon. They have three of those guys. In their best-case scenario, those guys all gel perfectly. T.J. Warren uh, is an offensive force, and their bench is, is pretty they're pretty deep team. All those guys click together, and they're ready to go for the season with a, a really talented roster top to bottom. Oladipo comes in December, January-ish, and they win 48 to 50 games. Uh, I think that could get them looking at home court in the first round, and you know, I think that this Pacers team's definitely going to be better than their seed in the playoffs because Oladipo will have missed so much time. So uh, they could make if the, if that happens, they could make the second round. Now, the worst case scenario, of course, is the opposite for the Turner Sabonis pairing. It just does not work at all. They're kind of stuck playing their best players. You know, half the game or a, a little more than half the game. Um, which really hurts them, and their backups at center is Goga Batadze, a rookie, so they, they'd be lacking in depth at that position if that were to happen. And then, you know, all the new guys don't gel. Maybe they don't have enough creation. They don't really have a lot of passing. That was the biggest uh, skill need that they did not address this summer. So, you know, there's a chance that their offense is kind of stagnant. They count a lot of Miles Turner's defense, and they end up about a 500 team because Oladipo comes back so late. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. They have so many ways they could go with so many new guys and a big question down low. Um, but th that's why they're going to be different, right? That's their plan is, okay, we've got these two giant people. One of them can shoot. One of them's amazing around the basket. One of them's one of the best defensive players in the league. There are enough skills here for something to work. We just have to figure out how. Uh, it's going to make their style a little different than everybody else's. Probably less threes, probably a few less passes, but some good defense. They're historically a very good defensive team. I think another player um, on the team to watch for is T.J. Warren. T.J. Warren's been with the Suns for a while. Not that the Suns you know, are to blame for everything, but there are a lot of players who leave the Suns and, and look a little bit better. Uh, in his first preseason game with the Pacers, Warren had 30 points, hit five of six threes, looked like a really good player. Uh, players are really happy with what they've seen from him. Same with coaches in training camp. I think he has a chance to be a breakout guy who shows, you know, given the given this chance to, you know, have more of an impact and fit more on a, on, a, on an organization that's had more success developing players in the past that he might turn out to be a, a different player than people thought he could be earlier in his career. Um, but, he, you know, I don't know, uh, compared to Malcolm Brogdon, who has a better chance to improve, I think Brogdon's got a good chance to improve too. And I think Brogdon could really change, you know, what people think of him in his career trajectory this year. Um, he hasn't really, he played point guard his rookie year when he won rookie of the year, but he's been more off ball as Giannis has become the guy in Milwaukee, of course. And now he's switching to point guard with the Pacers. Uh, media day I talked to him about you know point guard and how comfortable he is with that and he said that he actually prefers that to the way he's played in the past first preseason game 14 assists he clearly looks comfortable in Indiana more as a distributor if he becomes this awesome point guard who can also still shoot the way he has in his career I think people may think of him more uh, as a as an initiator who can also finish as opposed to just a finisher who can kind of secondary create and given what we've seen so far given the skill set 
that he's shown throughout his career. I think he's a chance to show people that he is uh, not the player we thought he was and can do a little bit more. Uh, it's going to be an interesting year. The only rookie uh, on the Pacers roster this year is Goga Bitadze um, from the Republic of Georgia. He played for Budoknas last year in the EuroLeague. Uh, Goga has not yet played for the Pacers. He had visa issues preventing him from playing in Summer League. And then for um, the preseason, he's been hurt so far. So unfortunately, we haven't seen a ton of him. But he uh, probably won't play very much. You know, like I talked about earlier, they have the two centers, Turner and Sabonis, which will make it hard for Goga to get more than maybe 10 minutes a game. Um, but he could be good. You know, Euro guys are typically a little bit ahead, at least, of NCAA rookies, although he did acknowledge that keeping up with the NBA game is challenging. And like every rookie, he'll be, you know, limited by his size. He has not yet had the whole year of weightlifting and, and professional training. So he might be okay in that he's a skilled big man, but he, like every rookie, will probably not have much of an impact on this team. Um, because they have a lot of guys and a lot of depth. And I think when you have a lot of depth and you have, you know, three guys who are right, rightfully in that tier right below all-stars, then you have a clear all-star who, I mean, he's going to miss a lot of time in Victor Oladipo. I think you have a good shot at winning, you know, in the mid-40s in games in the Eastern Conference, maybe even a little more. Uh, me and my co-host Adam Friedman ran through the schedule for the Pacers uh, and predicted them. I had them at 44 wins, I believe, and he had them at 47 um, so I think somewhere in that range is, you know, a, a nice place to look look for the Pacers. Uh, and then I think this season we're going to see two things out of Indiana that you, you, you didn't expect. One is that DeMontis Sabonis uh, may be an all-star. I think he's the best non-Oladipo shot of doing so. Not that I think he'll necessarily be substantially better than Miles Turner, but I think his stat sheet's going to be a lot better. He is the much better offensive player. He's going to get more minutes. His stats are going to look great. And another one is that Malcolm Brogdon ends up could average double-digit assists this year uh, and and take this team to a new height if he does. I think if they have that true point guard who can shoot like that, they're going to be a dangerous team, and they're going to ask him to distribute a lot. Him and Sabonis ran a lot of two-man actions in the preseason, so I think you might see a lot of uh, Brogdon passing, a lot of good Brogdon stats, and if those two can keep that connection going they had in the preseason, this team could be pretty good. So uh, keep an eye on the Indiana Pacers this year. The points gained analysis on the Indiana Pacers is has them still competing in the upper half of the Eastern Conference, coming in as the fourth seed, slightly ahead of Miami, who we'll talk about as the week goes on. They are the ninth-best offensive team and the ninth-best defensive team in the NBA, so pretty impressive to still be top 10 in both. They'll knock on the door of Philadelphia and Boston, if that's the case, as some of the top teams in the Eastern Conference. Pretty impressive if they hold that together. Let's see what Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko of Reject the screen think for the Indiana Pacers here's what we're going to see later in the season 47 and a half that's going to be the headline and that was their over under now Vegas is good and I don't want to be sucked into the sucker bet but how is this team going to win 48 games like it did over the past two seasons without Victor Oladipo far and away their best player and he's not going to be back likely until December. And then when he comes back, then what's he going to be? It's a much different team. Darren Collison left basketball. Thad Young's gone. Boyan's gone. Nate McMillan is an outstanding coach. I think I had him third in coach of the year unofficially that ballot last year. Turner and Sabonis, Miles Turner and Demonte Sabonis are going to play together. And by the way, in my fantasy keeper league, I, I kept Sabonis with since I drafted him in the 15th round last year. So that's a nice pickup. So they're going to try to play those two together, and we don't know how that's going to work. But 
like to have two of your best players on the floor together. 47 and a half, given the fact that they won 48 last year, 48 the year before. I don't get it, and no one can explain it to me. Interesting, because I am going to attempt to explain it to you, because my future headline for the Pacers is third best record in the East. What? I think that we are seeing Philly as the top team in the East. Milwaukee should be number two, but again, the loss of Malcolm Brogdon, who goes to these Indiana Pacers, is humongous for the Bucks. And then the question is going to be, can the Pacers surpass the Celtics, who have a lot of figuring out, a lot of young pieces, a lot of new parts, uh, reasons to be optimistic about the Celtics. But this is about the Pacers. And you bring it up. The Oladipo loss is huge. With him last year, 25-11. and 11. Without him, 23-23. and 23. But not only did this Pacers team add Malcolm Brogdon, they also added Jeremy Lamb and one of your favorite players of all time. I think you have a poster on his wall. He, you have his poster on your wall, TJ McConnell. Um, sure. This this backcourt is shored up. I love the front court, and I think the Pacers are going to be in the mix with quality coaching. This is a team that's going to get after it defensively. I don't think that they're going very far in the playoffs. But I think we're going to see this team as having the third best record in the Eastern Conference. Do you look at this as someone else has to win games in the Eastern Conference? Or uh, that's a huge good? part of it. I think it's a huge part of it. I don't. And how, I don't much, necessarily... and how, much, and how much of it is going back to what you said on our debut podcast of rejecting the screen that you love Coke? Uh, <laughs> Coca Cola. Oh. But but I guess in this instance, both meanings would apply. It's a much different Indiana Pacers team this season. Victor Oladipo, he could be out until December or January, so it is hard to really factor that in. But in the meantime, while he is out, TJ Warren, Jeremy Lamb, Malcolm Brogdon, they all get significant boosts. Guys like Lamb and Warren, especially when Oladipo does return, and again, when Oladipo returns, he's not going to be at full strength straight away. So guys like Lamb and Warren will have value, but that will drop off towards uh, the February-March portion of the season. As for Oladipo, he was only uh, barely around that top 50 mark last year before the injury, so I don't think that we should be looking to draft him around that area. He's more of a round 8 or 9 guy, because when he comes back, the minutes will be limited initially. There'll be games set out. There's uh, It's almost a loss season for Oladipo, and I wouldn't want to be drafting him in my fantasy league. Malcolm Brogdon, we should see the assists go up from where they were in Milwaukee, where he played almost exclusively shooting guard. Now he's a starting point guard. Well, I'm still really, I'm not fully buying into TJ Warren as a three-point shooter, especially at that percentage he shot in Phoenix. The other changes in the front court, DeMontis Sabonis starts next to Miles Turner. I think that does have somewhat of an impact on Turner because uh, Sabonis is a great rebounder, so I think Turner's rebound rate might fall a little bit more. It is also going to be interesting to see how Sabonis and his very high usage when playing with that bench unit fits in with the starters. So while he does get significant value, DeMontis, after he only played 25 minutes last season, that will go up, but it won't be on a linear level. So we do have to take that into consideration, but still some really strong fantasy options for this Pacers team. Josh Lloyd's Fantasy Basketball Show is the number one most listened to fantasy basketball show in the land. Make sure you grab it. He does a super job if you're playing daily fantasy or if you're playing fantasy basketball. It's Locked On Fantasy Basketball Top 50 iTunes show. He just kills it with great analysis, incredible dedication, and gives you the edge. So make sure you get that with Locked On Fantasy Basketball. The Detroit Pistons did not make a lot of changes this offseason, so let's find out how they may be the same or different than they were a year ago with one former MVP added to their roster. 
What's happening, sports fans? This is Matt Shook of the Locked On Pistons podcast with the preview you've all been waiting for, the Detroit Pistons mired in mediocrity. I think that's the slogan for the season. Maybe that's why season ticket sales haven't been so brisk. But the biggest storylines coming into the season for Detroit is the Andre Drummond contract situation. Drummond has a player option for the 2020-2021 season this coming summer which he has indicated that he will decline and hit free agency when not many of the top players are going to next summer. The October 21st deadline is approaching to get the extension done for the full designated veteran extension, but the Pistons seem to not want to offer Drummond a max, so there's a bit of a chess game ensuing from now until then. But after that, the Pistons could have Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson on contract years with the elusive cap flexibility coming next summer, or with an extension signed by October 21st, the Pistons will be led into the foreseeable future by Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond. Another storyline is the improvement of the second unit in the offseason. Tony Snell takes over the Reggie Bullock-Wayne Ellington role in the starting lineup, an upgrade there. But the Pistons made real strides with limited resources in the offseason for the bench, signing Derrick Rose and Markeith Morris, and adding them to the Luke Kennards and Svi Mikhailuks of the world, making a bench that should be an upgrade over the Ish Smith, Zazai Pachulia, Glenn Robinson third group that fizzled too many times in the second quarter last season. The best case scenario for the Pistons is that Derrick Rose and Luke Kennard gel in the second unit and replace Bruce Brown and Tony Snell at crunch time with those guys teaming with Reggie, Blake, and Andre for a formidable fourth-quarter team down the stretch that wins a lot of close games at winning time this season. Also, for that to happen, Luke Kennard needs to take another step forward as a consistent scorer and playmaker for Coach Dwayne Casey. The worst-case scenario for the Pistons is if Andre Drummond is dismayed by the lack of extension that offer that he gets for the max before the season starts. Blake Griffin ages like he was expected to by many last season before he had a fantastic year in his first full one as a Piston. And there's not enough players on this team with the requisite defensive talent to keep up last season's above-average levels on that front for Casey. That would be the worst-case scenario for this team. As far as style differences, coming into this year, we've seen evidence that Andre Drummond might be out away from the basket at times, like he did in the final season under Stan Van Gundy meaning that Drummond's assist numbers might go back toward the higher levels from two years ago as opposed to where he was at last season. Of course, the catch-22 is that he needs to be close to the basket to take advantage of his superior rebounding, and there's always a chance that he gets a ball at the perimeter and jacks up a three-ball, which could break the Pistons' backboard or the rim at Little Caesars Arena, which would add undue costs to, to, to owner Tom Gores' bottom line. A player that you might be thinking differently of at the end of the season is Reggie Jackson. He was better than you think last year, especially as the season went on. He got healthy uh, after a few years of injuries and captured some of that 2016 magic, which had him playing a lot better than you remember, uh, the peak season of his career. He's going for one more contract this year as he's approaching unrestricted free agency, and he should be expected to raise his game back to being something like an average starting point guard in the league. Luke Kennard is a guy whose career could go up to another level this season. He'll run with the second unit with Rose and also get crunch time minutes 
with guys like Andre Blake and Reggie. Is he a guy who can turn himself into a top 100 player in this league, maybe even a top 75 player uh, as, as time goes on, or is he just a fringe starter? We'll see, but he has a chance to make that kind of leap this season with his uh, variety of skills and uh, offensive creativity. As far as rookies with impact, there will not be any for the Pistons this season. Sekou Dembouya was the 15th pick of the draft out of France, but he's an absolute project. He's the youngest player in the NBA and won't be 19 until two days before Christmas. He's younger than a lot of college freshmen. He's a guy that won't make an impact on the NBA court until next season at the absolute earliest and probably another season after that. I think the Pistons will move up in the Eastern Conference pecking order from last season's eighth seed all the way up that large climb to number seven. Yes, I think the Pistons move up one spot in the Eastern Conference playoff order, get up to over 500 as opposed to last season's 41 and 41 season, maybe get 43 or 44 wins. So take the over on their totals, which have them finishing under uh, 500, and hope that Blake Griffin doesn't get hurt when you put your money down on that one. A couple of predictions for this season. I say that the Pistons will get off to a hot start for the third straight season. You'll see some are the Pistons back type of stories in early December because of a favorable early schedule, cohesiveness with the core and coaching staff from last season, and relative health as the season opens up. My second prediction, and this is a bold one, the Pistons will win their first playoff game, not series, but they're win- they're going to win their first playoff game since 2008. That's 11 years ago and will be 12 years ago by the time the playoffs come around. My god, that is a long time and you can tell Detroit sports fans are ready for just a hint of winning from their four major sports teams which have been so disappointing for the last decade or so. I'm not predicting the Pistons win a playoff series, but with the 6 or 7 seed, they can hopefully avoid Milwaukee in the first round and win a home playoff game at Little Caesars Arena. We'll see if all this stuff comes to fruition, but that'll do it for me, Matt Shook, from the Locked On Pistons podcast. Thanks for listening, and good luck to your team this season. The Locked On Podcast Network points gained analysis does not have things necessarily heading in the right direction for the Pistons. We have them projected as the 22nd-ranked offensive team and the 26th-ranked defensive team. I'll be honest, that surprised me a little bit. That's out of Kevin Pelton's ESPN metrics, and that in turn has them as the 11th-ranked team in the Eastern Conference. So after making the playoffs a year ago on behind the incredible performance of Blake Griffin, we do not have them doing the same thing, at least in the Lockdown Podcast Network uh, effort there, uh, at least with our analytics. We'll see if Blake has the same year he had a year ago. Hard to believe that is true. By the way, Indochino is the world's largest made-to-measure men's brand. Start your style upgrade now with $30 off total purchase of $3.99 or more at Indochino.com when entering Locked On at the checkout. Now let's go to the Rejecting the Screen crew, Noah Kozlov, Adam Stanko, with tomorrow's headlines for the Detroit Pistons. Here's what I see coming for the Detroit Pistons. And again, remember, these aren't all headlines that we agree with, but we can see coming. And here it is for the Pistons. Blake's underrated. Yeah, we know. We get it. His game has evolved. Stop trying to sound smart. And that's what has happened over the past, I'd say, two years from basketball pundits who are just trying to sound smart. Blake came in as this explosive player, dunker out of Oklahoma, 
kind of not really jumped over a car. It was the hood. I don't think it even counts. And then his game has developed into playmaker. He's got a good handle. He can step out. And he is a, maybe not at this age, but if this was his game a few years ago, a franchise guy, the Pistons need him to be. But if they, if Blake gets hurt, forget it. This team's not winning many games at all. But if anyone, if you hear anyone say Blake's underrated, just say, yeah, and stop trying to sound smart. <laughs> My future headline also about Blake, and, and you talked about his all around game and the importance that, uh, you know, how important Blake is for this Pistons team. Well, Blake pre-All-Star last year, 26 points a game, eight boards a game, shooting nearly 48% from the field. Post-All-Star, 20 points a game, six boards, 41% from the field. He was playing hurt. He ends up having arthroscopic knee surgery this offseason. Then he does the roast of Alec Baldwin. I think Blake is in for a monster year. Comfortable in Detroit, loves playing for that that city right now. And my headline, Blake Griffin has a serious MVP case. So I think the Pistons are going to surprise some people and Blake's going to be the main reason why. Obviously, some people will say he's, quote, underrated perhaps. And Blake Griffin is going to get headlines as an MVP candidate. If there was a team where it's pretty much more of the same from last season to this season, that is the Detroit Pistons. The big addition there is Derek Rose. That caps a lot of any upside that Reggie Jackson may have. I think both Rose and Jackson are just late-round guys and probably more 14-team league players rather than 12-teamers. We're going to see, I think, probably a worse Blake Griffin this year than what we saw last season. He obviously wore down towards the end of the year with a knee injury. So he was putting up close to top 30 numbers to begin last season, and then it dropped off, and he was outside the top 70 over the last couple of months. So he's probably a guy you look at in that 60 to 75 range in drafts. Andre Drummond, he's going to do what he does, a strong second to third round player, get those rebounds, score a bit. Nothing's too much is going to change there with him. Well, the other two starters, Tony Snell and Bruce Brown, they're not going to be players who have too much of an impact in fantasy. In fact, guys coming off the bench like Rose and Luke Kennard are going to have more value as streaming options for points, whereas uh, Snell and Brown are going to be more streaming options for the steals category. In a deeper league, Christian Wood has been fantastic throughout the preseason. So if he gets those minutes and can overtake Thon McCare and even Markeith Morris, there is going to be some value for those deeper formats for Christian Wood. If you did not catch any of the Western Conference teams, they are in the feed. We did the three Western Conference divisions first. We're now moving to the Eastern Conference. We'll wrap it all up for you tomorrow on Locked on NBA and our six-day NBA preview extravaganza here on Locked on NBA. Make sure you've subscribed to follow your local team as well. We've got the Chicago Bulls and the Cleveland Cavaliers left. Remember to treat yourself to a meal you deserve and have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Right now, our listeners get $5 off their first order at $15 or more. When you download the DoorDash app, enter the promo code Locked On. All right, the Chicago Bulls are an in-vogue team to knock on the playoffs, led by Jim Boylan. Let's see what our Locked On Bulls crew has to say. What's up, Locked On NBA listeners? It's Matt Peck here from Locked On Bulls with your Bulls 2019-20 season preview. A couple of the biggest storylines to look for. The first one to me is the battle at the point guard spot. Lots of options for Jim Boylan. You have the incumbent Chris Dunn, who doesn't appear to be working out all that well, paired with Zach Levine. They draft Kobe White seventh overall, who had a great year with UNC. And, of course, they add versatile 
Thomas Sadoransky in that sign and trade for, uh, with the Washington Wizards. Lots of options. Looked like all three of them brought different things to the table in their first preseason game. We'll see how that continues to play out. And then, of course, I mentioned Zach Levine. Can he and or Lowry Marketing make that next jump and become all-star caliber players this season? Zach, in his own right, had borderline all-star numbers last year and talked in the offseason about how if he were doing so on a Bulls team that had more wins, maybe he would have gotten some more all-star votes and I think personally this team is going to go as far as Zach Levine will take them this season can he get that first all-star nod and then of course I mentioned Jim Boyle in his first full season at the helm can he prove he has what it takes to be more than just a high school style rah-rah coach and actually make these pieces fit he's got a couple of new guys to help him out this year Chris Fleming and Roy Rogers who both have very impressive resumes joining Boylan's bench can they make it work and help this team take the next step what needs to happen for that to be the case? Well, Boylan needs to prove himself. He needs to get this team to buy in. Not only do they need big contributions from the offseason newcomers, Sadoransky, also the veteran Thad Young, who's going to do a lot of things for this team on both ends of the floor. But I, I said it's all about Zach Levine and hopefully Lowry Markkinen as well turning into the all-star caliber players that this Bulls front office hoped they had the potential to be when they decided to hit the rebuild button and trade away Jimmy Butler. They need one at least, if not two, of Levine and Markkinen to turn into bona fide stars for that big jump to happen this season. Worst case scenario for the Bulls this season – Zach Levine and Lowry Markkinen proved to not be as high-ceiling players as the front office hoped they would be. They either stay at the level they were at last season or, dear God forbid, actually regress from what we saw last season. And another worst-case scenario is that this team does not buy in to the Jim Boylan system. We saw a near-player mutiny happen last year after a 53-point loss to the Boston Celtics soon after Boylan took over for the ousted Fred Hoiberg. Everyone appears to be on the same page coming into Jim Boylan's training camp in his first full season at the helm. But will they continue to buy in if things don't go well for them out of the gate? Worst-case scenario, it blows up in his face. It blows up in the team's face. Will this Bulls team be stylistically different on the offensive end this season compared to last season? Absolutely. At least that's the plan. I mentioned the addition of Chris Fleming to Boylan's coaching staff. The Bulls are going to shoot a lot more threes this season. At least that's what we're hearing. We've already seen it in some of their preseason action, minimizing those inefficient mid-range shots that they took a lot of last year. Lots of threes, lots of attacking the basket and getting to the free throw line, and also getting out and running with a multi-ball handler system. Whoever grabs that board off the defensive glass, get up the floor quickly. That's the plan, and hopefully it will look a lot different than a Bulls team that looked pretty stuck in the mud at times last season. Defensively, I don't know if we can anticipate a whole lot of changes. The Bulls, I think, are still going to struggle, just like they were one of the worst defensive teams in the league last year. A lot of that will depend on the health and availability of Wendell Carter Jr. coming into his second season. They are going to look to play Lowry Markkinen more at the five this year. Will he have what it takes to be a better rim protector than he was in his first couple of seasons? We do know that they added some length and versatility uh, with both Thad Young and Sadoransky. They can guard multiple positions, and of course the health of Otto Porter Jr. will be a big, important factor there as well player most likely to be thought of differently at the end of this season? My hopeful answer is Zach Levine. 
Didn't turn a whole lot of heads with his impressive stat line, 23-plus points per game, 4.5 rebounds, 4.5 assists last year because he did so on a 22-win team. If the Bulls manage to be at least a mediocre team that is still sniffing the playoff picture come March into April, I think you're going to be talking about Zach Levine making his first All-Star team this year, and he will be thought of more than just a dunk contest winner and a guy who could score some points on a nightly basis. I think we will be talking about all-star Zach Levine gaining some respect at the end of this season. Player whose career trajectory is most impacted this season, either good or bad, I would say right now it looks like Chris Dunn. I think this team is still planning to trade him in whatever way they can before that deadline. I don't see the Bulls looking to sign Chris Dunn to an extension off of his rookie deal that is near expiring. And I think based on what the Bulls thought they were getting in Chris Dunn in the Jimmy trade, being a starting caliber point guard, we are going to see the rest of the NBA and what the Bulls can or cannot get for Chris Dunn in a trade deem Chris Dunn to be a competent backup guard in the NBA and nothing more. The Bulls are doing everything they can to hype Chris Dunn up coming into this season to try to keep that trade value afloat. But I think we're all going to look at Chris Dunn as a former number five overall pick as a competent backup guard and not a starting point guard in the NBA. How much of an impact will this team's rookies have? I mentioned seventh overall pick Kobe White. He certainly looked just as fast and athletic as advertised in the Bulls' first preseason action. He's going to have to fight for minutes, though, in that stacked backcourt, especially if the Bulls do try to play Chris Dunn to up that trade value. And then, of course, the second-round pick Daniel Gafford, Really impressive, of course, has crazy bounce. Uh, He can block shots at the rim. He had three blocks in his preseason debut. And, of course, using him in the pick and roll, using him in lob running lanes. We saw some of that already with Gavin in the preseason as well. Although, given the Bulls' depth at that spot, assuming that Luke Cornett's turf toe issue does not linger, assuming that Wendell Carter Jr. brushes off these nagging training camp injuries, I don't know how much run Gafford is going to get with the Bulls this season. I would anticipate him spending a lot of his time with the G League Windy City Bulls. I predict the Bulls will fall short of making the playoffs in the Eastern Conference this season. I have them pegged somewhere around 37 or 38 wins, which would still be a significant jump from their 22 win total of last season, but I think it will be not enough to get them into that eighth seed in the East. Two predictions about this season. I think, as I said, Zach Levine's going to be a first-time All-Star, especially significant and exciting for this organization with the Bulls hosting All-Star Weekend, Chicago hosting All-Star Weekend for the first time since back in the late 1980s when MJ was a young pup in the dunk contest. Another prediction, Wendell Carter Jr. won't make all-defensive team, either first or second, and he won't win Most Improved Player of the Year, but he will get significant votes for both. We saw what he could do in just 44 games in his rookie season. He has the potential to be an elite defensive big in this league, and we're hoping to see some offensive development from him as well this season when he was really held in check mostly because of the Bulls' system last season. I think Wendell is going to be due for a breakout year. He's going to get big votes for all defense and most improved player. That's your Bulls season preview. To continue the conversation, hit us up on Twitter at LockedOnBulls. A lot of those changes are subtle. People are taking notice, and they may be a lot better. Points gained as the Bulls as the 20th-ranked offensive team, the 17th 
ranked defensive team this year, so it doesn't feel like a great deal better. But that could put them at that would put them at ninth in the Eastern Conference, battling the Orlando Magic for the final playoff spot. When you're done with this show, make sure you grab Rejecting the Screen. They had Sam Mitchell on in their long-form interview. They'll do that once a week. They'll discuss the NBA early in the week, and then they'll have a long-form interview on uh, later in the week. This week, it's with Sam Mitchell. Great stories, lots of fun. Make sure you go grab that when you're done with this one. It's called Rejecting the Screen. Here is the tomorrow's headlines for the Chicago Bulls from Noah and Adam plus Josh's fantasy report. Here's tomorrow's headline for the Chicago Bulls, and it might be tomorrow's headline. It might be next month's headline. It might be next year's headline. Restraining order issued. <laughs> I'm talking about a restraining order issued on Adam Stanko by Kobe White and his representatives because the crush has continued from the pre-draft workouts that you, Adam, saw with Don McClain from Kobe White, and it has continued into the preseason, and I don't see it slowing down. And I think it's going to get, uh, it might get dangerous at some point. It, you know, it's probably already dangerous now. My man, Kobe White, it's, it's ramping up by the day, if, if you can believe that. And it's funny, you and I didn't discuss what we were going to choose as our tomorrow's headlines, our future headlines. And so mine is Kobe White should be the starting point guard of the Chicago Bulls. And I do think that is going to be a headline this season. Obviously, we've talked about my my affection for, for Kobe, not just as a locker room guy, but certainly his explosiveness, his ability to shoot the basketball and all the things that I saw this summer. But look at where White is currently, third on ESPN's Bulls depth chart behind Thomas Sadoransky and Chris Dunn, I think after a couple months with all the wonderful plays we see from Kobe White, you will start to see those headlines. Kobe White should be the starting point guard for the Bulls, and Adam Stanko receives restraining order from the White camp. Hey, have you sent him a bra yet to autograph? <laughs> it's coming. Also, let it be known that I've been leading the way on the Lori Marketing train so i'm the conductor of that train so if anyone wants to get on board feel free for the chicago bulls their best two fantasy players are going to be larry markinen and zach levine both guys should be looking at 20 point per game seasons in that 35 to 45 range in drafts uh, marketing is going to give you great free throw percentage for a big man but no defensive stats levine's super efficient for a guard as well he gets you some assists both of these guys are going to be really strong in that third to fourth round range Wendell Carter Jr., he's been dealing with multiple issues in preseason. He should be ready to go when the regular season tips off, and I really like him in those mid-rounds as a center. He did struggle a lot when Jim Boylan took over last season, but hopefully Boylan doesn't put the handbrake on Carter this season as much as last year. The Bulls added in Thad Young. I think his production drops quite significantly. He won't most likely be playing the 31 minutes a night he played for Indiana, so he can be used as really a back-end guy and more of a steal specialist. And then at point guard, I believe Thomas Satoransky will be the starting point guard for the Bulls. He is a guy that you grab in those later rounds. Chris Dunn, maybe you look to stream him for steals. I think we're a long way off Kobe White having an impact. But the only Bulls point guard I'd, I'd want to draft at this point is Satoransky and leave those other guys on the waiver wire at this point. One last final stop for you, the Cleveland Cavaliers. They made a major change in the coaching front. They're going to look at things very, very differently as they try to still continue to rebuild where they are and how they're growing. Remember, starting Monday, 
John Hollinger, Nate Duncan's show on the Lockdown Podcast Network. Hollinger and Duncan, NBA show. Should be a great deal of fun uh, for everyone involved there, so make sure you follow that. All right, let's get the Chris Manning. Does super work with Lockdown Cavaliers. It's not as fun as it once was, but they are growing now, so let's hear what he has to say about what they have coming up. Hey, Chris Manning from Locked on Cavs here. You can also find my writing over at Fear the Sword, Forbes, and a bunch of other places. So looking at the 2019-20 Cavs, a couple of the big storylines are really centered around players. Uh, the first would be the Darius Garland, Colin Sexton pairing. The Cavs have gone a little bit unorthodox in taking two point guards who are score first with their last two first round picks. This isn't a full term, long term commitment yet between these two guys, but we need to see how it works in year one for both of them and see what kind of leveling up Sexton does in year two. This is the foundation of this next era of Cavs basketball, so we'll see how they do it. And then you have Kevin Love. Um, you know, what level does he play at this year? How happy does he say he's kind of gone public and said that he wants to be with the Cavs through the rebuild, a word the team does not really like to use. But we'll see if that maintains. We'll see if the Cavs decide it's better to trade him for first-round pick, a young player, or whatever, at some point before the deadline. And if a team like Portland or, you know, name another contender who could use Kevin Love um, kind of goes out and makes a deal for him, we'll see if that ends up happening. That's just going to be something that I think continues to shape where the Cavs are at. And then you have John Beeline as the last thing. He comes from Michigan, 66 years old, late in his basketball life, but I think very invigorated by this job based on everything we've heard from him so far. Uh, we'll see what his system looks like. We'll see how the defense under J.B. Bickerstaff kind of takes shape. And we'll just see how he adjusts from that shorter, condensed college season where he has more time to prepare, more time for practices, something he's talked about a lot in camp so far, and then see what his what he looks like over the course of an 82-game season with players that, to be, to be blunt, are guys he didn't necessarily go out and, and say, I want that guy and that guy and that guy and recruit them. It's guys that he inherited. Um, aside from Garland, KPJ, Dylan Windler. Um, the honorable engineer would be, what does Kobe Altman do to shape the roster and how aggressive is he in in dealing and in, in wheeling and dealing on, on the trade market? So if the Cavs are going to have their best case scenario, what needs to happen? I think the first thing would be for Kevin Love to play at an all-star level. I think that's likely-ish. I think as long as he's healthy, he should be an all-star this year, 20 and 10-ish, I think, is a reasonable expectation for him. He, if he's good, it's going to make things easier for everybody on this roster. It's going to make things easier for everyone in the franchise if Kevin Love can just take some of the pressure off of the young guys to kind of have to be great right away. You need to have good production from Sexton, Garland, Jetty Osmond, Kevin Porter Jr., and every young player the Cavs are hoping or at least want to give a chance to be part of their future. Those guys need to show something. Um, all of them have little flaws in their game. Sexton being his defense, um, Jetty, I think, his just shooting numbers and finishing numbers aren't where they need to be. All these guys need to prove something this year if the Cavs are going to you know, be bad but still have um, a season that they feel optimistic coming out of. And then lastly, I think, does beeline system work? Does Do we have a proof of concept to some degree from year one for him? In terms of what would lead to the worst-case scenario, I think number one would be the defense, which I think will be bad, is just even worse than we expect, and it just makes it really hard for them to compete in games. 
I think we saw last year sometimes that even though this team knew it wasn't good defensively, when they'd, when they'd give up a ton of points and they'd get beat over and over again, it was demoralizing. That could have the same effect this year. Um, they were the worst defense in the league last year, arguably the worst in history. I think what did have the worst defensive rating ever um, in the NBA last year. It's not like they went on and added a good defender. The guy that's probably their best wing defender, Sandarius Thornwell, might not even be on the roster um, come opening night, which is, an, which is, a, is a weird thing to me. But if it's even worse than we expect, um, and maybe just even as bad as it could be in terms of the most optimal logical outcomes, that could still take them out of games, and that's not going to help them build any sort of confidence. And again, it could be a demoralizing thing. I think J.B. Bickerstaff and Antonio Lang are going to have a lot on their plates kind of designing this. Um, Secondly, I think if the roster just doesn't fit beeline and the offense doesn't gel as a result, there's a lot of weirdness on this roster. You have a ton of guards, you have a ton of bigs, very little wing, proven wing depth. Um, we need to see how that actually kind of sorts itself out and, and what the, the potential trades of guys like John Henson and whatnot sort of mean. Um, then you need, if Sexton and Garland don't work and those two don't gel, it's going to put a big cloud, I think, over the season. Um, in terms of how this team could be stylistically different on either offense or defensive end versus last year, I think the defense is to be determined. We don't quite know, aside from more switching, sort of what J.B. Bickerstaff's scheme is going to look like and how it might evolve over the course of the year. I think the offense is going to look very different. Um, last year, this was a lot of traditional too big lineups two guys in the paint set. Um, we're going to see a lot less of that this year. You're going to see Larry Nance and Kevin Love doing a lot of work on the perimeter. You're going to see more movement, more cutting, more back screening, and a little bit more pace. It's going to look sort of like what Beeline did at Michigan. And it's I think just in terms of the aesthetic, its vibe, its, its flow, it's going to look completely different from what the Cavs have done in recent years under Ty Lue and then Larry Drew last year. Player most likely to be thought differently at the end of the season to me is Colin Sexton. Colin Sexton put on a lot of muscle this summer and good muscle, and he looks strong. He looks like an NFL cornerback in terms of his strength. Um, the game looks like it's slowed down for him. He's a guy that I think is going to, at least at the NBA level, be able to score. And I think this could be a really big breakout year for him. Um, in terms of the, the non-rookie guys, I think that are likeliest to have a, a big year and at least put up good numbers, I think Colin Sexton's that guy. In terms of the player whose career trajectory is most impacted this season, either good or bad, you know, if you go veterans, it could be John Henson. It could be Tristan Thompson. I think it's really Jetty Osmond for me, though. Um, Jetty Osmond is a third-year wing. He's had an interesting intro to the NBA. You have him in year one being an energy defense guy on that last Cavs LeBron title team. Last year, he's tasked to be the starting three, plays a bunch of four, is a little overmatched defensively, has some injuries. I don't think we've yet seen the jetty that we, we've we seen in the, with Turkey and the national team there with his passing flair, with his offensive creativity. This is the system that is going to bring that out of him. Um, I think if we see it, this is the year it's going to happen. He's due for a contract next summer. I, I, year three is typically a make-or-break year for a lot of young guys. I think in Jetty's, Jetty's case, that cliche holds true, and the trajectory for him is really going to be set this year. And I think the optimism I've had about him is either going to be proven true this year or you know, we're going to be looking at just a replacement-level wing player that you know could be back in Europe in, in, in a couple of years. In terms of rookies who will have an impact, there are a lot of them. So Darius Garland, I think, is going to be good. I think he's going to play with a really nice pace. I think he's going to have a huge impact on the season. Maybe he doesn't start right away, but will come off. We're going to learn more and more about him once he actually gets back on the court a little bit more. Then you have Kevin Porter Jr. Um, I think Dylan Windler's injury opened up a door for him to get some rotation minutes. I think he's going to be in the rotation 
uh, to start the year. He's going to struggle defensively, but the offensive skill is undoubtedly there. He's going to be a lot of fun. You have Dylan Windler. Um, some people in the Cavs organization, and I think the coaching staff, thought he was going to be penciled in as Jetty's backup at the three to start the year before he got hurt. He should be back around the first week of the season, if not right after their home opener on the 26th. So we'll see what comes for Windler. But I think his shooting ability, his ability to space the floor, and coming in as an older guy who's a four-year college player at Belmont is going to help him. And then keep an eye on Dean Wade. Um, he's a future potential future stretch big maybe a bench guy. Uh, he's on a two-way deal this year out of Kansas State. Could get more minutes if the roster shuffles, if there are injuries, etc. My best guess on how this calf season ends is that they're going to be one of the worst teams. I think the Knicks and the Hornets are both going to be worse, but we'll see what how the Cavs compare to teams like Memphis and Phoenix and, and some of these other lower-level teams. I think, though, the overall season is going to be optimistic, and it's going to kind of create things in a positive direction going forward. They're building a little bit differently. I think them just building and trying to establish something different than they have in the past is a good pivot for this Cavs team um, and this franchise as a whole. I think they're going to end up somewhere in the low to mid-20 win range. I don't think they're, again, they're not going to be good. They're going to be picking high in the draft next year and could have a chance at LaMelo Ball or or James Wiseman or, or whomever they decide is like a really high draft pick. Those are guys that, um, like James Wiseman doesn't love by draft picks, but he's a big and they maybe need a big, who, who knows? But that's getting ahead of this. But they're going to be bad, but I think more optimistic than we have been. And lastly, two, predict, two predictions I have about this season. I think, for one, that Kevin Love is an all-star, and I think he remains with the Cavs for the entire year. Kevin Love, I think, is going to play at a high level, put up good numbers, look really good, be healthy, and I think he's going to be an all-star. And I, I don't think the Cavs are going to trade him. I think if a trade happens, it's next summer. Um, I could be totally wrong. Anything seems possible with him, but we're going to see. And then lastly, um, I think that Colin Sexton is going to average at least 18 points a game. I think Colin Sexton is primed to have a really interesting year. I think he's going to shoot like 50-ish percent of the field. I think he's going to, the three-point shot from him last year is going to be real. If you look at his rookie season, Colin Sexton averaged 16.7 points on uh, 14 shots a game. He shot 43% from the field. I think 20 points a game for him. I know I said 18. I think 18 to 20 at minimum is really, really good for him. He ended up shooting like, he ended up being top 20 in the league last year in three-point percentage after being unable to take them at the beginning of his rookie year. He's made a big jump in that regard so I think he's going to have a big big scoring year and if he doesn't lead the Cavs in scoring I think he's going to finish second behind Kevin Love so that's going to be it I'm Chris Manning from Locked on Cavs I'm on Twitter at CWM Rights thanks for listening and we head to tomorrow's headlines on the Cavaliers plus the fantasy report with Noah Adam and Josh Lloyd the Cleveland Cavaliers I considered Adam going with John Beeline but I'm going with what can we get for Kevin Love he signed the four years buck 20 Last year, that extension kicks in now. He's 31. The Cavaliers aren't going anywhere. He's a good guy to have around the young guys, but he's one of their only assets that they might be able to get something for. So they need Kevin Love to produce early and then be able to trade him. But the question will be, what can we get for Kevin Love? And how much do they want to help out Kevin Love by sending him somewhere that he might want to be like the Portland Trailblazers? And as you mentioned, Kevin Love, his woes on the defensive end play right into my future headline for the Cavs. Defensive woes continue to plague the Cavs. This is a team that could be historically bad on the defensive end. And I'm curious to see what John Beeline is able to do with them. That 1-3-1 he was famous for at West Virginia and then 
<clears throat> you know, of course, uh, during his run at Michigan, he won't be able to implement in the NBA. And Darius Garland, okay, could be serviceable as a, a defensive lead guard. Colin Sexton, brutal defensively, even though he's a wonderful athlete. Uh, Jetty Osman, uh, one of the league's worst defenders. And so if you add Kevin Love to that mix, that lineup could be just atrocious defensively. So it's going to be important that they move Kevin Love, not just for uh, what they could get back in terms of the youth movement, but also just because of how bad they're going to be defensively. The big question for the Cavs and their fantasy value is Kevin Love and how much is he going to play and how healthy is he going to be and also what team is he going to be on by the end of the season. On a per-game basis, he could very easily crack the top 20, but we just don't know how often he's going to play and he's probably safer in rounds four through six, assuming you've got the stomach to deal with potential injuries. Colin Sexton came on strong at the end of last season, but really all he does is score. He hits some threes, his free throws are good, but in a situation where Darius Garland's added to the mix, where we likely get more Kevin Love also, that's going to limit Sexton's usage, and I don't think he's going to be as valuable as what he was down the stretch of last season. As for Garland, obviously barely played in college, uh, has made his debut in preseason. I think he's strong as a late-round flyer type, but him and Sexton together is a questionable pair with their defense and their lack of ball handling. So how they work together is going to be curious. As a field goal percentage steals boost type of player, Larry Nance is really, really strong. Now, he's likely to come off the bench behind Love and behind Tristan Thompson, but even if he gets 26 or 27 minutes a night, he can be a top 100 fantasy player. He saw his assist rate spike last season. He's taking more threes at the moment. He can often be quite an underrated fantasy contributor, Nance. So he's someone to look at, whilst Thompson is more of that late-round flyer, same as Chetty Osman, who's likely to be the starting small forward, but with competition from Garland and Sexton and Love, for offensive touches, Chetty just isn't going to be as valuable as he was at times last season. The Central Division, the Bucks, the Pacers, the Pistons, the Bulls, and the Cavaliers. We've put it all in the books for you. This is yet another edition of the Locked On NBA Divisional Previews, all here on the Locked On Podcast Network. We'll wrap it up with you on Friday. Right now, tell your smart device to play podcast rejecting the screen and get Noah Kozlov and Adam Stanko's podcast with Sam Mitchell or go grab your local team's daily podcast here on the Lockdown Podcast Network.